Good morning, family. I'm thankful that you're with us uh, today, and thank you for joining us, whether you're uh, in person or online. Uh, the hope is to engage in the Word, engage with one another as the family of God, so, so thanks for uh, joining us this morning. If you have a Bible, get to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 11 today. Next week, we finish up this book. We've been in 1 Thessalonians since September uh, in a series that we've been calling Overflowing Faithfulness. I pray that it has been an encouragement to your own heart and walk with the Lord. For me as a pastor, it has been extremely timely uh, for my own heart and encouraging me not only pastorally but personally. So then the following Sunday, the 29th, we move back into the Gospel of Luke. We were in the, in the, Luke, uh, in the Gospel of Luke from chapters 1 through 9 from March until August. We go back in on the 29th, and we're there through next summer, Lord willing, spending that long looking at chapters 9 through 19. One of our vision statements talks about being devoted to Jesus, and so as the church, the Gospel of Luke is the most thorough account of the life of Christ, and so we want to spend extended season looking at the life of Christ who we are seeking to be more and more uh, devoted to. And so we're going to be there through the end of August next year, Lord willing, okay? You probably heard this quote before. I'm not sure who said it originally. Maybe it's one of you. Maybe it's one of you online. You can take credit for it. But it's this. Your life is made up of two dates and a dash. Make the most of the dash. Your life is made up of two dates and a dash. Make the most of the dash. It's a successories type of quote. Maybe you have this in your office, maybe at your home, maybe it's tattooed on your body, I don't know. Uh, it's not a bad quote, it usually has a, a mountain range behind it, or a bald eagle, or somebody climbing the mountain behind it, or something like that, okay? It's not a bad quote. It's an incomplete thought, though. It's an extremely incomplete thought. Why? Because there is a dash that goes on and on and on and on and on and on after that second date. It's called eternity. What are you going to do about that dash? Because the first dash, our life here on this earth, is very, very brief compared to eternity. The Bible says it's like a vapor. It's a, it's a mist of, of water and then it just disappears. It goes quickly, comparatively speaking, and the Bible is continually calling us to be ready for the second dash. In the time that you've been given, in the middle, choose Christ. Surrender to the Lord. Walk in growing faithfulness to Him. Trust in Jesus. Don't live short-sighted. Don't live for earthly things, but fix your eyes on eternity. Live in light of eternity while here on this earth. Some of you are not trusting in the Lord yet. You're, you're moving toward that second dash and you're naively thinking that, that you'll be just fine because, well, you've lived a good life, whatever that means. It's extremely subjective. Or you're living a cleaner life than the person across town. Or you've definitely done more good than bad, so you'll be good in eternity. And so you're under this wrong assumption that you can be saved through works that you can earn your way into heaven, that you can bring the, the resume of earthly things that you've done, you can bring that resume to a holy and just creator who spoke the universe into existence. You can bring your paper resume and say, well, listen, this resume outweighs or covers all the wrong I've done, all the right I've failed to do. And you're wrongly thinking that you can kind of tip the scales 
in your favor through your own works. And I was once there. And I pray that today, that like I did in high school, that today that you would transfer your trust away from yourself and place it upon the finished work of Christ on that cross. That his work was enough to, and all sufficient, once for all, enough to cover and atone and forgive our sin. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that the Lord is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Because one day, the day the Lord is coming, one day this earthly life will end and we want to be a people ready for the second dash. And this passage, this truth of God's word, it should sober us today. I pray in the midst of the warning that's given here, you're also hearing a clear call to trust in Jesus. You're not listening by accident. We believe our good and gracious God is at work, whether you're here or online. He's seeking to save your life if you don't know him. And for those of you who do know him, who are brothers and sisters in Christ, you've placed your faith and trust in him. I pray that you would be encouraged to pursue overflowing faithfulness in the life that you've been given in this dash. Daily life that is grounded in faith, hope, and love in this middle dash that we've been called to mission. A mission to show and tell of the gospel. A mission to reach people with the good news of Jesus. Because in that second dash, mission is no longer an opportunity. The mission is over. In the time that we've been given, in the precious time that we've been given, that we would live for the Lord and His mission daily. So we're into this last chapter of the letter that Paul's writing to the Thessalonian church and and this particular section deals with the subject of the day of the Lord around the subject of the second dash, eternity and the, the day of the Lord that will usher in eternity. The people might have been concerned about how they would fare in the day of the Lord or when will it arrive. And so there's uncertainty that, that leads them to share this with Paul through Timothy and Paul's writing back to assure and inform and remind pastorally he's redirecting their focus reminding them of the gospel they've received and welcomed the gospel they've heard and and embraced good news that leads to stability and peace rather than fear and anxiety and paul alludes to the fact that that they've heard some of this teaching before so here he's reinforcing he's reminding them of the truth that should motivate them for daily faith-filled living of that is anchored to faith hope and love and so to give a picture of that, Paul is going to set up these contrasting pictures of what a Christian's daily life should look like compared to that of a person who has yet to trust in Christ. How the people of the church should look compared to the people of this world. Because the difference between the person who's on the narrow path that leads to life, who's trusting in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, should look radically different than the person who's still trusting in, in themselves. The person who's on the wide path that leads toward destruction. See, the, the comparison is not just in the eternal destiny of heaven and hell. The comparison is in the earthly conduct, daily life between believer and unbeliever. Who they belong to, Paul says, makes all the difference. It's a, it's a question we should ask ourselves as we look at this text. Do I belong to the day or to the night? Am I a child of the light or of the dark? And if so, does my life reflect that? Where am I being called to repent in? Where am I called to grow in? Where am I being called to press on in faithfulness? 
Let's read the passage and then we'll work our way back through it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11 in the CSB translation. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness, so then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. So we're going to look at this section of Scripture in three different chunks. The first section is verses 1 through 3. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come, just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. What does he mean by the day of the Lord? Well, he's referring to the second coming of Christ. He returns in glory and power and splendor where the Lord Jesus will judge his enemies, deliver his people, establish his kingdom. Those in Christ are saved. Those not in Christ are condemned. The wrath of God towards sin and rebellion poured out upon those who have rejected the loving and atoning and sufficient work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's a day of terror and divine wrath for the unbeliever. It's a day of divine salvation for the believer. And as Paul writes in verse 2, it will come suddenly like a thief in the night. It will be unexpected. And at that point, it will be too late for unbelievers to trust in Jesus. It will be too late for them to hurry up and get ready for the the coming king because the coming king will be there. It will be too late. He'll already be there. One thing that all Bible-believing Christians can agree upon as it relates to eschatology, the study of end times, the, the various sequences and timetables and charts, the debates about those, one thing that we can agree upon is that we won't know when the second coming will occur. And why do we agree upon that? Well, because Jesus himself tells his disciples in the Gospels, he tells his disciples in Acts 1, it's not for you to know when the day of the Lord will happen. So don't believe someone who says they do know. Trust the words of Jesus on this one. I love that the Lord didn't tell us the exact time. Why do I, why do I love that? Well, a couple of reasons. One is that we'd be tempted to wait until the last minute to get ready. My wife knows this. It's not a secret in our marriage. But there have been times when we have plans to go somewhere, and in order to, in order to get there on time, let's say we've got to leave the house by 4.30. She says, what time do we need to leave? I don't tell her 4.30. I tell her 4.15. Okay? She knows this. This is not, I'm not divulging something that she doesn't already know today. But I'm giving her margin because that margin is, is good for the health of our marriage and for the joy and unity of our marriage. I'm giving her an earlier time because I want her to be ready. 
And neither one of us want to be fussy toward one another in the car. You, have you ever ridden in a fussy car? Maybe you ro- rode in one today. <laughs> Maybe you walked in late today, and I'm just picking at a scab right now. This is what some of you do to a family member here in a couple weeks. Hey, when we eating? Noon. You're not eating at noon. You're eating at one. But you tell that family one, or you tell that one random uncle one or noon because you know they won't arrive there on time if you don't tell them an earlier time. If we knew the exact time of the second coming, we'd be tempted to wait until the last minute to get ready. When we are called to be daily ready, Monday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 24-7, 365, daily ready for His return. Another reason why I believe it's good that we don't know is because when we don't know the exact time, we are lovingly forced into total dependence upon the Lord. And that's a good posture for us to be in. We're not allowed in the driver's seat. We're in the passenger seat. Listen to Acts 1. The disciples are are together with the resurrected Jesus. Starting in verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, the disciples asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods, that the Father has set by His own authority. It's not for you to know. Your infinitely good and loving and sovereign Father has that. He'll take care of that. And then He lovingly redirects them. And I love the redirection. Verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Don't worry about reading the signs. Don't worry about guessing at the times. Your father has that. He doesn't need your help. Instead, he's given you a spirit to empower you to be a witness to the ends of the earth. Because if your focus is on being a spirit-empowered witness, you'll be ready. And you'll help other people be ready as well. Verse 3, when they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. When the day of the Lord is here, it's not a a time of peace and security for the unbeliever. For those in the town of Thessalonica, for example, who are not a part of this church, who are not believers, they were experiencing peace and safety living under the Roman Empire. So there was peace. There was no war, no unrest. There was also safety, meaning a secure condition within the city and within the bounds of the rule of the Romans. But Paul's saying that one day on the day of the Lord, peace and safety will not be found. Instead, judgment will be experienced for those who are are not in Christ. If you're finding your peace and safety in earthly things, it won't withstand the day of the Lord. It's like a house of straw. It won't be a refuge that will be any sort of refuge at all. Rightfully so, there is an ominous tone to Paul's words here. Sudden destruction will come unannounced, unavoidable. Are you ready? And he compares it to the labor pains of a pregnant woman. When we were in the hospital preparing for our daughter Maddie's arrival, this would be 21 and a half years ago. I don't think I've aged at all. I I know my wife hasn't, but somehow our daughter has. But the doctors had Heather on an internal monitor to uh, for, for Maddie's heartbeat and those kind of things, as well as to judge contractions. And, and so next to the bed on that little computer, it would spit out this reading of the contractions. 
as they were occurring. Now, this was my first time in a labor and delivery room since I was born in a labor and delivery room, okay? So, so I don't have a lot of expertise in this. I was a young husband, young father. I was 22. I was sitting, watching these readings and basically giving a play-by-play of them. Whoa, this is a big one. I mean, probably, that's probably an embellishment, but I was still giving a play-by-play. Wow, th- this, is, this is a big one. Whoa, look, look at this, this one. I'm giving this really thoughtful, so thoughtful, so other-oriented play-by-play to my gracious, gracious wife who is experiencing the sudden pain of contractions and doesn't need me to say, well, this is a big one. This, are you, you're feeling this? She'd say, I, I got it, I got it. Labor pains are inevitable and sudden. There is no escaping them. And Paul is using this metaphor to give a sober warning to unbelievers. Let today be the day of your salvation. For on the day of the Lord, on the day of the Lord which you do not know when it will occur, it will be too late. And there will be no peaceful, no secure refuge on this day. Today is the day to choose Christ, who is our Prince of Peace our Prince of Peace, who is our refuge, who is our shelter, Passover lamb, blood of the lamb, over the doorpost, shelter under the blood of Christ. We need to repent from this thinking that we can be our own peace and our own safety. Verses 4 through 6, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And here Paul is giving a contrast between those in Christ versus those not in Christ yet, this picture of light, dark, day, night. Salvation is often described as a moving from, from light to, or moving from dark to light. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you are once darkness, But now you are light in the Lord, so therefore walk as children of light. Or Colossians 1.13, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Or 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the One who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. If you're in Christ, Paul says in verse 5 there that you are all children of the light or of the day. We don't belong to the night or the darkness. We once did. All of us can probably point to seasons, moments, years where we once did. Darkness is the term that characterizes a life of sin. John 3.19 tells us that apart from the grace of God, that people loved darkness rather than the light that we loved the deeds of darkness and worshiped those, gave our attention to those. But by the grace of God, believers have been brought out of the darkness, lifted up out of the muck and mire, rescued, set free. We now belong to the day or to the night. I'm sorry, to to the light. I love the verb belong. It's a reminder of redemption. By the blood of Christ, we've been bought back from the dark slavery of sin. We now belong to a new king, a new kingdom. We were once dark, now we're light. And so as a result, this earthly life, this dash, we live 
as children of the light. And that should look radically different than the world. It should look radically different. Verses 6 through 7. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. Our spiritual condition as children of the day and light should not, mark, should not be marked by sleepiness, meaning indifference, ignorance, apathy, a slumbering through life rather than a watchfulness and alertness to the things of, this Lord, to things of, the, things of the Lord and the brevity of the life that we've been given. Some of you are sleeping. Some of you are sleeping. You've been lulled into apathy and indifference, and the Lord has called you to wake, to stop snoozing through life. In Christ, you're a child of the day. The sun is up. It's time to get things done. It's time to worship the Lord well in the time that we've been given. As children of the day, we are to be self-controlled, he says in verse 6, and he opposes self-control to getting drunk at night. You and I have been called to a sober life. That doesn't mean a life absent of joy. Have you ever met that believer? I just love the Lord so much. Really, really love Him. Do you? Do you? Is the abundant life rising up in you? He's not talking about sobriety like lack of joy. Just the more serious I am, then the more spiritual I am. Okay? He is saying it. It means a life where we are not running to earthly created things such as alcohol to try to numb us and provide a temporary escape. When you're sober, you're aware of the very temporary nature of the things of this, of, of the, of this earth. That one day, the, the day of the Lord is coming and we want to be ready. Being children of something means we will reflect that. So, so brother and sister in Christ, you and I are also a son or daughter of the, of the light son or daughter of the king who has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why in the world are you messing around in dirt and darkness? Why are you messing around with dirt and darkness when you belong to the king of light and the king of life? You're a son or daughter of the king. See, we live this earthly life according to who we belong to eternally. Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, the risen king who overcame the devil, overcame the darkness. I love that in verse 8, Paul moves to the we. Not just you, Thessalonians, but me. We belong to the day. We are called to a life of faith, hope, and love. Verse 8 is a picture of a godly soldier standing fast at their post. Vigilant, disciplined, head is clear, finding their protection in the midst of spiritual warfare, not in their own strength and ability, but rather in faith, hope, and love. Paul wrote this in chapter 1, verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's calling them back to this truth. He's saying, I, I see evidence of this in your life, evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. Be anchored to, live daily anchored to faith, hope, and love. Verses 9 through 11. For God did not appoint us to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. One of the most, if not the most, uh, beautiful and powerful truths of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for us. So that through faith alone, by grace alone, we would not experience the wrath of God, but rather salvation and eternal life found in Him. We would experience relationship, no longer separated because of a sin, but because of our sin, but life together with Him. Jesus' death for my life, for your life. Jesus substituting Himself upon that cross, bearing the wrath of God, taking upon Himself the full weight of sin of the world and dying in our place. The all-sufficient, once-for-all sacrifice. Brother and sister in the Lord, your eternal destiny is not wrath. Your eternal destiny is salvation and life. Your earthly life now is not one of condemnation. Because in Christ there is no longer condemnation, but rather your life now is in Christ. In Christ, forgiven, saved, redeemed, set free. See, I was born a rebel and so were you. I wanted to be my own Lord and King and so did you. The Bible makes that clear and we were born deserving of wrath for sin Sins of commission and omission, meaning wrongs that we had done and omission meaning rights that we'd failed to do. But God, God is not only the just, but he is the justifier. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Much like 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, this is a truth in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 5 that comforts, truth that assures. This is unshakable, precious, powerful, solid. This is truth we need in waiting rooms. This is truth we need in sanctuaries, at funeral services, at gravesides, at bedsides. This is truth that is precious and comforting, and assuring. I love the worship song that we sang earlier, In Christ Alone. In Christ alone, you took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, the gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. And then later on it goes. And, and this song has, has particular meaning to me. Um, one of the memories that I have of singing the song was at a funeral uh, of a wife who had been murdered. And this next stanza, is the, is this, I always go back to that thought because it says, No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Last year, I sat next to uh, the bed of a brother in Christ who was dying of cancer. I read Romans 8. I read First uh, Peter 1 as I sat there. Uh, I cried. I prayed. Uh, I said my earthly goodbyes. 
And um, even in my brother's suffering, his salvation was secure. It wasn't unsteady. It wasn't in question. It was secure. Years prior, he had come into my office due to the counsel of his son and uh, come into my office and, and Dave asked, so how do I get saved? And he said it that directly. I realize I'm not. How do I get saved? See, he was once appointed to wrath. But God, God who is rich in mercy, saved my brother Dave and now wrath was satisfied. Now all Dave knew and would experience was salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And even earthly suffering would not separate him from the love of God through Jesus Christ. For God appointed him, granted him salvation as a free gift. Loved one, are you ready for the second dash? Are you ready for that bedside moment? Not to be next to the bed, but be in the bed. Are you ready for the second dash? Are you ready for the day of the Lord? Does your way of life reveal that you belong to the light or to the dark? Does your way of life reveal that you belong more toward the day or the, the night? Are you walking and living according to who you belong to on a daily basis, public, private? If you don't know Jesus as Lord today, you've been graciously given an opportunity to trust in Him, to repent, and turn toward Christ. You can pray and ask Him to save you, confess your sin, confess your desire that He would lead your life and save your life and rescue your life. He is faithful to do it. To those of you who are brothers and sisters in the Lord, these verses are not just a comfort, they are a call to mission, a call to spirit-empowered witnesses, to be spirit-empowered witnesses to the ends of the earth because eternity awaits all of us. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. We are compelled by his love to be ambassadors and witnesses, because we pray that more and more people would experience salvation in Christ, be saved from wrath, saved from judgment. Who are you praying for right now? Who are you praying that, that God would save? Who are you praying for that God would open up a door for you to walk through and declare and speak of the, the good news of Jesus with clarity, with love, with passion? Jesus Christ died for us. And as Paul writes, he died for us so that we no, would no longer live for ourselves, no longer live for earthly things, but live for him who died for us and was raised to life on the third day. Let's show and tell the gospel. We'll have opportunities in the coming weeks, in family gatherings, multitude of opportunities, not just family, multitude of opportunities we have every week to show and tell of the gospel. And we pray that people would come to know the Lord and be appointed and receive salvation, the free gift that it is. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the, the epitome of grace that we see poured out through the birth, life, death, and resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we are saved by grace and not by works. Thank you that we are changed and sanctified by grace. I pray that you would continue to enable us through your spirit to be spirit-empowered witnesses, compelled by love, starting with those closest to us, to our neighbors, all the way to the nations. I pray that you would save. Save people who we love, save people who we don't even know yet. I pray that you'd remind us of the life-changing and eternity-changing truth it is that Jesus Christ died for us. Thank you that we have been appointed to salvation and life and not to wrath. Thank you that we are in Christ and condemnation and unrighteousness no longer has a hold on our lives. I pray that we would walk as children of the light today and this week, that we would walk in light of who we belong to. I thank you that you bought us back, you redeemed us, you've set us free, and we are known by you, loved by you. Be glorified through us and in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.